It was a man named Jan. He had a German background and he um, was very diligent, you know, and he taught me all the fundamentals of business. So I, I came into this having absolutely no idea. And he taught me everything from the ground up. He taught me, you know, how to set an agenda for meetings, how to speak to people when you want to set meetings, how to do all the fundamentals, right? And as tough as he was, and so many people didn't like his style, right? Because he was, you know, cut the shit. Like I remember I was talking to him once in a meeting, I actually requested a meeting and he goes, okay, before the meeting, send me an agenda. I sent him an agenda and he goes, I want you to put X amount of minutes next to each agenda item. And when we speak, I want you to have a timer next to you. So you can time how many wow. minutes, even if you, t so, because if you don't allot the right amount of minutes for that agenda item, he's going to cut you off at three minutes and you move to the next one. That's how diligent he was. <laughs> that sounds like the stereotypical German culture of like being That's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. This is Phil Michaels, Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and performance coach. Forbes names the top 30 entrepreneurs, leaders, and stars in the world. And each week, we bring you one of them to help you level up in your life and business. From celebrities like LeBron James to Kylie Jenner and Cardi B, you're sure to learn from the list. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now it's time to level up. Level up. Welcome to the Phil with Forbes 30 podcast. Today, we have a very special guest all the way from the land down under, Australia. He began his entrepreneurial journey at the age of 23 when he discovered a solution for the construction industry, which saved a large infrastructure project in Sydney over $4.5 million. After winning the Startup World Cup in 2017, he met his professor, Dr. Anna White, and together they founded Bindi Maps. Now, Bindi Maps is an indoor navigation tool for people who are blind or vision impaired. Dr. White conceptualized the idea after being diagnosed with a rare eye disorder where she was destined to go blind. Dr. Wright teamed up with Maladin, who I'm going to share with you in just a moment, to create Bindi Maps. Bindi Maps restores independence to people who are blind or vision impaired by allowing them to safely and independently navigate indoor spaces. Since launching in 2019 in Australia, Bindi Maps has assisted over 1,600 people to safely reach over 2,000 destinations. They've raised over 1.5 million, with another 5 million to be closed soon, valuing the company at 25 million. Please welcome co-founder of Bindi Maps, Maladin. Very well, excited to have you here today, Maladin. Welcome. Yeah, thank you so much, Bill. It's an absolute pleasure. Man, it's so cool. <laughs> I love the work that you're doing. Welcome to the Forbes team. I know you just got inducted in 2020, so congratulations, well-deserved. Yeah, thank you very much. It's still, it's still a bit surreal at the moment. I'm still trying to get my bearings and you know, soak it all in. It's, it's a huge honor, so thank you very much. You're welcome, and, and my pleasure. I'm really excited to have you on the team. And Can you tell me where you were when you found out the news? Yeah, definitely. I was actually, um, I, was on, I was sitting right at my desk right here and I, I was on a meeting and um, I just got off the meeting and I had about a five minute interval between my next meeting and I got, so I actually emailed um, the editors asking, you know, what's going on with the list because it was like they left it till the last day. And <laughs> I was just building so the anticipation. Yeah, so, so I emailed them and I asked, you know, what, what's going on with the Forbes list? Have you guys decided? Because I thought they announced it and, you know, no one even let me know because I didn't make it. <laughs> and I was just like, well, at least I want to see who's on there. And um, 
they didn't respond to my email. <laughs> they left me hanging for a couple of days. And <laughs> then out of nowhere, in between that meeting, I got tagged on LinkedIn by um, one of the editors in a post, you know, congratulating all the Forbes 30 under 30. And, um, you know, if I'm honest, I just straight away started calling my dad, started, you know, telling people. <laughs> so I was a little bit late to my next meeting, but um, that this is the exact same spot I'm in right now. So Rightfully so. I was in a similar position. It sounds like you and I were both caught off guard and we're not expecting it. I, uh, I was born in Philadelphia and I found out as I was visiting the Constitution Center and I was like, wow, it's all coming full circle. And it was oh, so exciting. Cool. So uh, I totally empathize with you. And, and I love the work that you're doing. And one of the things I noticed was you use person first terminology. And I learned this in pre-med where when you're serving those that might be uh, having a learning difference or a physical difference in their abilities, instead of saying, for example, a disabled skier, you might say a skier that is disabled. So you use the person first terminology. And I really, um, I didn't know of that beforehand before learning this in school. And so I saw that on your website and in your content and messaging and your marketing materials. So I commend you for that and um, just leading with the person first. Yeah, thank you. And look, that was a learning curve for me as well. When I started, like I was a bit ignorant to that as well. So, you know, I learned along the way and it's the right way to address someone, right? You don't want like, that's not all they are, right? They, they may have a vision impairment or they may have something else, but that's, that doesn't, that's not them as a person. So. It's a great point, Maladin. And so why don't we jump into things? It's a crazy time right now, all over the world because of COVID-19. What's been your go-to hack to get the most out of this COVID time? What's something you or your team is doing right now to play offense rather than defense? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So, look, I, I've got two different paths that I, I can answer that by. So one is, you know, as a company, uh, and the second is me personally, right? So as a startup, um, you know, we it didn't make sense for us to bunker down and to cut all our costs and to try and, you know, ride out the wave and on the other end, you know, see which of our employees we can keep and start again, essentially. We thought, you know what, there is so much for us to do as a startup. Let's just start doing it. So... As COVID was coming around and, you know, lockdowns were being announced, we actually hired someone else. Um, we made another hire and we just thought, you know, we need to really improve our technology. Um, we need to expand our algorithms. We need to be able to do all this sort of stuff. So then by the end of this period, we're able to come out, you know, bigger, stronger, smarter. We can do all that sort of stuff. And that was one thing, like the main thing was improving the technology. Uh, second we, is even though we're a small company, we reached out to all our large customers, like, you know, billion dollar companies. And we asked them, how can we assist? You know, and, and it was little gestures of going in and, and fixing up anything um, with their installs or making sure everything's running right. And, you know, in some cases we even canceled invoices because we knew that those shopping centers weren't getting any visitors or, or anything was happening. So even though it was a drop in the bucket, it was just, uh, it was a very nice gesture on our end and they really received it well. And I think that's going to form into a very strong relationship in my opinion. Um, personally, I have used this time because now we're not commuting. So we're staying home. I wake up in the morning and you're at your laptop. Right? <laughs> so, so. It could be dangerous because you don't, you could be working all day, 24 seven. There's no transition between, between home life and, and work life. That's right. Yes. That? Yeah weekends just blend into your week you don't really know where the weekends are and I, i'm a really big believer you know you need to have a diligent routine 
um, even through this period. So wake up in the morning, do a little bit of exercise, read, and then get into your get into your day, learn for an hour, and so forth. Like there's so much time that we've just saved on that commute. And so what I've been doing is I've just been using that, trying to learn new skills, trying to read more, and trying to get all the things done, which I'm sure many people have, right? Trying to get all the things done that have been on their list, like I need to do this, but haven't gotten around to it. So that that's just me personally. And you know, it turns out that with the things that we've been doing, we actually ended up signing two new clients last week. Um, wow. So. Congratulations. Talk about playing offense. You're growing the team. You're learning those courses you've always wanted to learn, maybe finishing a book that you've been putting off or an unfinished project. It sounds like you're really trying to take advantage of this time and, and make the most of it. And, you know, it's funny. One of my, I'm a performance coach for entrepreneurs and, and CEOs and the like. And one of my clients out of Harvard actually had the same issue is like waking up and he goes right to work. So what I encouraged him to do is delineate his workspace. So he has one table for personal projects, one table for his work projects, one table for downtime or, or reading his book, personal project where he's just learning maybe. Uh, so it's interesting how different your workspace can be if you really create physical transitions as if you were commuting to a new location for mm. a different type of atmosphere. And now I'm just relating that back to myself and, you know, unknowingly I've actually been doing that, right? Personal development and everything's in the living room, you know, <laughs> I'm on my work that's here in the study when I'm doing something else, it's out. So yeah, that's there great. You go. Is there a new skill that you're particularly focused on right now that you've been working on? So there's one that, there's one thing I've been putting off for a very long time, and I've decided to focus on it now um, because you know we have all this time. Is growing growing my online voice and brand, right? So mm -hmm. I made an Instagram. I started, you know, I've got like 50 followers, <laughs> but I've started doing that, and I, you know, I've started trying to grow that that side. But also one thing that I really wanted to to you know see if it was for me or see if I could do is coding, right? So I started taking I took an online course to try and code an app. I made an iOS game, it was ridiculously hard. <laughs> um, and I realized, you know, it's something that I wouldn't pursue as a long-time career. People are a lot smarter than me can be doing that sort of stuff, but yeah. Well, you're experimenting, I love that. Yeah. That's great. So, Maladin, take us back to the very beginning, where you're from, where you grew up, and the path that led you to where you are now, making it to the Forbes list. Wow, okay. Um, Strap yourself in. So, so um, <laughs> as a family, uh, we migrated to Australia, to Sydney. Um, back in 2000, I was only six years old then uh, from Serbia. Um, you know, it was a war-torn country back then, so coming for a new beginning. I uh, grew up in southeast Sydney. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the brightest kid in school, never excelled throughout high school, um, ended up failing my high school certificate. Uh, and then after that, I went into King's Cross and I was working at a as a bouncer at bars and clubs all around the city. Um, and then, you know, something clicked. Uh, a friend of mine I hadn't been in touch with for a couple of years told me it was at university. And um, we were very close in high school. And I was like, you know, if he can do it, I can do it. <laughs> so then I went, uh, I did like a bridging diploma to get me into university. And then once I got into university, this is sort of where like everything started, right? I started making the right connections, expanding my network and I actually realized what learning was all about. Mm -hmm. um, and throughout my second year, I got some junk mail uh, in my inbox from the university saying, um, come up with an innovative business idea and make a business plan and bring it to life and win 25 grand. 
And I've never won a competition before this in my life. So I was like, you know, I've got nothing to lose. And they set up all these really high up mentors and, and business professionals, like the founder of Sydney Angels and all these different, like huge companies, like PricewaterhouseCoopers, things like that. And they gave up their Saturdays to come and mentor us. So wow. I was like, you know what? I've got nothing to lose, right? This is, it's, I don't need to pay anything, just go. And I had an idea for a social media app like everyone else does, right? <laughs> so the next I went in Facebook. There. Yeah, I had the next Facebook, right? So, so I went in there and um, I, told, I told them about, um, I told them about the app that I had and they quickly made me realize that, you know, you have no, like there's no money in that. It's been done many times. Like <laughs> focus on something like solve a problem. They, they literally asked me, what problem are you solving? And I had no answer. I was like, well, you know, this will be cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, yeah. so you went from, you went from failing high school to becoming a bouncer to then exploring university. You use the bridge program to go from a diploma to university. And that's when things started to click. But what was that transitional moment where you're like, that's it. I, I got it. Other than, you know, I know you met your friend who was a pivotal transition in your life to say, Hey, I'm inspiring you to do this because I can do it. You can do it. But there must've been some moment in whether it was university where things started to feel like, you know, I'm confident in myself. I can actually do this. Yeah. So there definitely was, and I can, I, I can even pinpoint, pinpoint the day. So it wasn't actually when I got into university. So that whole challenge there was, I hate to say it, but that was more stubbornness to prove that I can do it. Right. So it wasn't, I didn't really have a goal of going into university and graduating with this degree and pursuing this part. I just sort of went just because, but it was, I took a gap throughout my second year of uni and I went overseas and I, I spent a lot of my time in Serbia, actually. So I took six months, traveled Europe, spent a lot of time in Serbia and I actually saw how people were living. Um, you know, their average wage was about 300, two, two to 300 euros a month. Like it was crazy. And then all the struggles that they were going through and, you know, it made, it made me sort of realize the opportunities that we do have here in Australia. Um, so I wasted all my money when I was in Europe. I came back absolutely broke. And then at that point, I got that email and that's where I sort of clicked. I was like, we have, like, look at this email that just came through in my junk inbox. Like, <laughs> like, we have so much opportunity here, like no one's doing it. So I went in and it was, the competition was called 3P. So it was people, planet, profit. So come up with something that can impact those, one of those three things, or if not all three. Yes. Um, and it was, that was the pivotal moment where I was going into that competition where I was like, okay, like, I, I realized that we actually have the potential to do something. And you didn't have any business background. You didn't have any business education at that point. You just felt like this is it. This is an opportunity for me. I hit maybe rock bottom with I'm out of money. I spent all my money. And then this email comes in my junk inbox. And, and this is a sign. That's exactly what happened. Like I remember I had, um, I, I ended up using the last of my money when I got home to buy like a $600 car one of my friends um, <laughs> and then like going around I was literally counting the coins that were sitting around in the car just trying to buy something right so that's that's scraping the bottom of the barrel that's how bad it was wow. that's <laughs> um, amazing. Yeah, so, yeah, I found that and went through that competition and I remember saying I, I remember distinctly saying to myself because there was a few hundred people in the competition and they shortlisted the final six and I remember saying to myself and I was telling my dad as well I was like 
if I make, if I actually win this competition, I'm going all in and I'm starting this company. Like I'm doing it. I'm starting this company. And my dad was like, look, just be happy if you get shortlisted, right? Because again, <laughs> we grew up like not having money, like coming from Serbia. And it, like we grew up with that mindset of you sort of have to be born into money. You can't really do anything about it, um, which is a very toxic mindset. But you know, that's, that's, that's life, I guess. That's how we grew up. Your belief um, that you're, it was a belief that almost your destiny was already decided for you and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't decide or control what happens in life. Exactly, yeah. And that was, that was probably, you know, a big, big influence on how I lived my teen years as well. So, so that's why, that's sort of why high school was failed and all that sort of stuff um, because you sort of knew, you know, that's your life. That's, that's what you're destined to do. Um, and it was kind of like you couldn't see anything else. Yeah, it's, isn't it funny how we always think as young entrepreneurs that our first business is going to be the one that we spend the rest of our lives doing. It's like, this is it, Dad, if I win this, <laughs> the rest of my life is set. Yeah, <laughs> I remember exactly. one of my first businesses, I was, or entrepreneurial ventures, I wouldn't even call it a business, was I was in elementary school and I sold Pokemon cards. <laughs> and I used to have these binders. I didn't even play Pokemon, but I, I knew other kids loved Pokemon cards. So I would have these binders full of Pokemon cards. And the best card was Charizard. He oh, was like the card. ultimate, the, the, the dragon with the fire coming out of his mouth. It, was, it had the hologram. If you had this card, like you were the man. And I remember <laughs> I sold the card for $50 and I thought life was it i mean mom you'll never have to work again mom i made it this is it we hit the lottery we hit the jackpot i'm selling pokemon cards that's it that's it and i was like probably eight years old <laughs> that's awesome so yeah it is interesting we all end up uh, thinking that I think it happens with relationships too. It's like you think your first relationship is like, this is the person I'm going to be with the rest of my life. And yeah, getting married. <laughs> so tell me, as you were starting to get successful and you're starting to get these wins under your belt, how did you transition out of that? Like, tell me about a, a time when maybe you had a failure along the way or obstacles, you or challenges you had to face along this journey to finding success. Like, how did you find that success and overcome those obstacles? Um, look, the biggest, the biggest challenge would have been, you know, everything that I encountered throughout that, that competition, right? I was, I was working full time, um, on a construction project, which was 6 PM to 6 AM. So I was doing night shifts. So it was six days a week. I was full time at university. So that's four subjects per semester. And I was doing this competition. So, I mean, you know, that, that shitty car that I bought for 600 bucks, I was sleeping in that car on Friday nights. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, so I'd go to go to university, go to work, go back to university for the competition, sleep and get changed, brush my teeth in the car park, and then you know keep doing my thing. So that would have probably working been- full time, sleeping in your car, going to uni full time, and competing in competitions to win the big prize. And I loved every second of it. I loved every second of it. Like I mean, if I'm thinking back now to when. I like I was stressed don't get me wrong I was stressed I was under a lot of pressure but I I found so much joy in doing that I don't know why I loved it is it like the masochist in in us that we sometimes I find this in entrepreneurs we sometimes enjoy the suffering and it makes the reward so much more is that similar so. to what you were thinking 
I think so. And it's just, it makes the victory so much sweeter after going through all that. Um, and, you know, just having that, holding that $25,000 check was the greatest <laughs> feeling. Like, I remember it so vividly. Like, <laughs> you won. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and that's, you know, the Startup World Cup. Like, now you feel on the top of the world. And, and what happened then? Like, because then you transition into a completely uh, yeah, different so, business. Uh, yeah, so after that competition, uh, I went to the University Startup World Cup in Denmark. I ended up winning that. And then when I came back to Sydney, the university gave me that little bit of money. Um, and they also gave me an office um, on the accounting level because I did a double major in accounting and marketing. And they gave me an office there. And I actually met my co-founder now at Bindi Maps. Um, we crossed paths in the hallway. Uh, so we just walked past and Anna came up. She's like, hey, I know you. You just came back from the competition. I was like, oh, sorry. I was like, sorry, who are you? She's like, uh, I'm actually one of your lecturers. <laughs> so um, I should have actually known who she was. Um, but um, we started talking and she told me about um, this accelerator program she was doing and the idea that she had. And I found it really interesting, right? So I went in, um, I was like, let me, let me learn a little bit about it. So I, I did a few tasks. I did a few customer interviews and I'll never forget this one like where, where it was the aha moment to click over and actually go into that startup was uh, this lady published a two-page spread in the Australian Financial Review and it was about how her, her life at university was terrible because the university couldn't accommodate to her special needs. And this was a lady who was completely blind and she moved from the country into the city to be able to study with friends and pretty much have a social circle and have a normal life. But there were so many limitations on that, you know, down, right down to the point that the university wasn't making PDFs that were compatible with screen readers. So she couldn't actually consume all the content. Um, and I, I got on a phone call with her and I spoke about all the problems. And I said, you know, if you, can, if you had a magic wand and you can make one thing change, what would it be? Her first answer was people. Um, she would get rid of people. <laughs> so I was like, look, we can't do that. What would the second thing be? And she said, if, if I could have tactiles all around the world. So what tactiles are is they're little circle markings. I'm not sure if you have them in, in Florida. When you're walking down to a traffic light or a, a road crossing, you see them on the floor. They're like little bumps. Yes. That's what tactile markings are. And they're used to tell people who use a cane that there is a road approaching or so forth. And I explained to her the idea for Bindi Maps. And, you know, she said, if, if that was actually possible, that would be completely life-changing. And um, that's when I was like, okay, so this is a business that is actually changing lives, not just, you know, putting money back into construction developers, you know, pockets. And after that interview, after seeing how much pain she was going in, I'm like, you know what, that's it. I'll close down the last wow. startup and just went full into this one. That's amazing. And, and so you were inspired so much by your story that you're like, somebody needs to work on solving this problem. And, and did she, when she said, I want to get rid of people, I'm assuming it's because she felt like people were cold and didn't treat her properly because of her vision, you know, being a vision impaired and, and blind. That's right. Yeah. So that would have been a problem. And also it's not that people are mean and people are rude. I don't believe that. I don't think that someone is going to intentionally do that. I think it's that people just don't know and they're uneducated in that space. I mean, like, how do you, let me ask you this. How do you shake a person who is blind? How do you shake their hand? Do you know? 
So I roomed with a friend who was blind in, uh, in Mexico for a while. And what he would have me do is grab him at the elbow. I'm Thank not you. sure. If, so yeah, I would take him, uh, he would take my elbow and I would kind of lead him, but I'm not necessarily sure how it was about shaking the hand. I can't recall. So what you would just do is ask, can I please shake your hand? It's that simple. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and because people don't know these sorts of things, right? They, they get, it's, it's almost like a fear. I don't know how to respond in that situation. So I'm going to leave. I'm going to move. And um, we had another lady telling us that when she walks down, with, down the street with her cane, she calls it the Moses stick because it's like parting the Red Sea. So <laughs> she can just feel people, people just get out of the way. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, so it's, it's not that, that they're being mean. It's that they simply don't know how to interact with one that might have a different learning ability than them. Or exactly. Exactly. And look, before I got into this business, I, I was guilty of it as well. I removed myself from those situations because they were uncomfortable and I didn't know how to respond. Right. So now that I actually do know how to respond, it's not, a, it's not an issue. For me. I actually, to people, just like everyone else, it was just the fact that mm -hmm. I didn't know I was uneducated in that space. Well, the, the, yes. Yeah, so the, it sounds like that's an obstacle you had to overcome because you were learning not only about the business, how to build the business, but also how to interact with your end users and learn their story and, and empathize with them because you are ultimately serving them. So that must have been given you great insight into your beneficiaries, the people you were serving. So shaking hands is one. What's another common myth maybe about this industry or um, maybe what's something someone could do better that isn't blind or isn't vision impaired? What could they do better to help along with this journey for someone that is vision impaired or blind? That's a good one. There, there are so many, um, there are so many myths about this space. I mean, like, so let me ask you, you know how people, uh, how, I don't know if it's the same, I'm just talking about from experience in Australia, but, it's, it's a legislative requirement for us to have braille signs uh, on top of, you know, toilet doors and things like that to let people who are blind know whether they're going into male or female toilets and things like that. Uh, how, do, how do they find the braille? How do they find the braille in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. That's where Bindi Maps comes in. <laughs> exactly right so what, what i'm trying to say is there's so many different things that people have designed for people who are blind or vision impaired but haven't actually gotten their input right so some people so myth is like you know that braille is there so people can tell whether which toilet they're going to, but how are they going to find it right that was just someone that something wrote into legislation you need to have it right like how do they even get to the braille in the first place and so what are people doing currently and then Maybe that segues perfectly. And how does Bindi Maps solve that problem? So, mm -hmm. what would people normally do? <clears throat> I'm assuming they have to ask for help. Like, how do they get to the Braille currently? So, right now, what I'll, I'll give you an actual example of how someone will do their shopping. Right. So, if someone was to go into into a shopping center to buy their groceries, how that how that would happen? Right. If you were blind or vision impaired. So, you've got three things that you can do. One, you can ask one of your friends or family to go with you and take you throughout the whole shopping center and, you know, pick and choose what you need, right? Two, you can call ahead of time the shopping center, let them know you're coming, get them to organize a chaperone, and then they can take you throughout the shopping center. 
three, you don't go. Right? So there really isn't a solution currently for someone to be able to leave their house and do their shopping on their own. Or completely uh, do it independently yet safely. It does not exist. It doesn't exist. There are many different, wow. unless, unless they have been trained to use that shopping center, unless that's their local shopping center and they've been going there for, you know, they've done it so many times that it's like second. And they know, exactly. And they know how to count the steps to each individual shop and things like that. And we actually had an example of a lady saying, I know how to, I know how to get from the entrance of the shopping center to my hairdresser. But what if I want to stop and buy something in between? What am I passing? I have no idea what I'm passing. And what so, they typically count, so they typically count their steps to know how far something is away, if it's a location they have to frequent on a regular basis. That's right, yeah. So they, they have different strategies of, you know, actually remember, they always have to remember where they are. Right? So what's relative to them? Are they going northeast, southwest? How many turns they do? Things like that. And just imagine the cognitive load that's actually happening there, right? So the amount of stress that is on the brain trying to constantly always localize yourself in the space so you know, okay, so I've turned right now, the entrance is back to my left and things like that. It's like, it's not an enjoyable experience. Sure. That's, that's exactly what we're doing. We're making that easy. It's more task oriented. Whereas Bindi Maps comes in now, how do they, how do you and your team make this easier? and solve this problem? So in essence, what we're doing is we're talking you through that whole journey, right? So we went, I'll start, I'll start at the beginning. So we went, we went very, we took a very different approach an opposite approach to many other companies that start focusing on indoor navigation. Many companies, when they focus on this field or any field, they, they create a solution to a problem and then they try and make that solution accessible to everyone we actually went the other way we created an accessible solution so this was completely accessible to people who are blind or vision impaired completely compatible with ios devices for um, voiceover mode it was ready to go and then all we did was to make it available for the general user we overlaid a pretty little map view so you can see where you're going um, and then what we would do is as you enter a shopping center Bindi maps would give you a spoken overview of what the building is like. So if you walk into a very large space and you can't see, you can feel how big the space is, but you don't exactly know how big. So that can bring on all sorts of problems like anxieties and stresses. So we explained to you, you know, you are in, you're in a, you're in a large building. Uh, it is about a hundred meters long. It's a rectangle building. Um, and we also outlined the three nearest destinations. So the concierge desk is 12 meters at 10 o'clock, uh, I'm not sure what stores you use, but we have a boost juice is at, you know, 10 meters at three o'clock and so forth. So we give you that, we, we allow you to paint a mind map of the space. Mm. So you actually have an idea of where you are. Wow. And then you have drop down menus of categories. So you can see exactly that, like what's inside the shopping center. You can look for particular stores. Once you tap on the stores, it automatically begins your guidance. And as you're navigating through the space, this is a key thing. We communicate all the information that is always missed, right? So you and I, when we're walking through and we see like a fresh juice bar, it might trigger something subconsciously for us to think, okay, I need a fresh juice. Mm. I'm thirsty. Whereas if you were blind, you wouldn't actually get those cues. So we embedded them in the application in real time. 
So as you're navigating, it'll say the fresh juice bar is 10 meters at three o'clock. <laughs> Are you ready really for a fresh juice? Yeah, so you, you get all that information that wow. you miss. And when you go to the amenities, you go to the, you go to the toilets, mm-hmm. how do you know how to flush the toilet? Where is the flush button? Where is, you know, where, 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 is this, where is the sink? How do you wash your hands? Is it sensor operated? Is it operated by a tap? It, all these things, it's crazy. Like we have technology to, you know, send people to the moon and do all these sorts of stuff, but no one's actually focused on, on the simple things. I mean, some of the greatest people in the world, like, you know, cruise control on your car, that was invented by someone who was blind. Wow. Yeah. And he also, that gentleman... Yeah, so that, that man also, um, oh, his name evades me. But he also invented a, a, a new fishing rod and reel, a new locking mechanism, and a new method for balancing steam turbine rotors on torpedo boat destroyers, all while he was completely blind. Because uh, he probably, and those that are blind or vision impaired, have a higher sens- sensory acuity probably, which allows them to have to solve problems that individuals would not have to solve in, in people that don't have blindness or vision impairment. They, they don't have to solve these problems on a regular basis. So they're not thinking even from that perspective in the first place. So their creativity might be limited. Whereas someone with a height, a heightened sensory acuity might have a better perspective or a more creative or unique perspective at solving a problem. I would say unique or different, um, different perspective. Um, definitely, definitely. And I mean, like when you think about it, we have these highly intellectual people and highly successful people, innovators, you know, painters. Uh, there was an adventurer who, who scaled mountains who was completely blind. And we, can't, we can't get him to the restroom to figure out how to flush the toilet. <laughs> That's, if you ask so me, how does Bindi Maps solve that problem? Is that also, are they listening to their their phone and it's walking through step by step from an auditory mechanism so if you if you do decide to use this as a person who's blind or vision impaired it will talk you through the whole journey and when you get to a destination like the fresh juice bar or like the restroom we've also embedded a blurb that explains all the information you need to know so if you've never come across that juice bar you press about this location and it will explain you know this is a fresh juice bar that has this and this and this on offer if you go to the restrooms and you press about this location, it will explain to you the restrooms are this shape, the cubicles are on that side, the taps are operated in this fashion. Wow. So it's, it's all about restoring independence and allowing everyone to just live freely, right? So imagine, imagine the embarrassment of you having to ask me, can you please come into the toilet and show me how to, show me how to wash my hands? Right, you you're, you're giving back independence to people in a way that allows them to keep their dignity, dignity right. and also doing it in a safe manner. That's exactly right. Now, it's one of the things I saw on your website was you have sensors. How do the sensors work with, with the auditory mechanism? Mm-hmm. So, again, we took a very different approach here. Some people, we use Bluetooth beacons. Uh, I actually have one here. So they're about two, two and a half centimeters by two and a half centimeters. I don't know what that is in inches. <laughs> uh, about an inch by an inch. <laughs> um, and I think 2.5 centimeters equals one inch, if I remember yeah, correctly. I think so. um, and what they do, they emit a Bluetooth frequency. They don't store any information. 
They work exactly the same way that GPS would work outdoors. So how you have to be in contact with three satellites in one time to be able to find you on the planet. You have to be in contact with three of our beacons at one time to localize you within the space. And there's so many different technologies going on in the back end that I, I shouldn't really disclose, but we're able to get down to about 1.5 meters of accuracy and we're wow. hoping to be under a meter by the end of the year. Which is about four feet. And yeah. that's impressive. Wow. Yeah. And we can so that's your secret sauce. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, so do you partner with these entities like the Juice Boost or Boost Juice um, grocery store and they allow you to put these beacons inside their establishment to make them more friendly for those that are um, blind or visually impaired? So we don't actually work with the smaller retailers. What we do is we work with the larger property owners, developers, managers. So, uh, you know, your Costco, for example, we would work with, we would work with them to be able to map out the whole space or um, what's a lend lease, uh, those larger developers that actually own the whole site of where the shopping center is. We would actually work with them to go in and install this system. So then the entire shopping center is equipped and it actually, it truly can open its doors to the entire community. So that's very cool. That's what we do. It's unbelievable. I commend you on the laudable work you're doing. It's, it's very much needed. And I'm looking forward to seeing how you bring this to, to the U S um, cause I know you're in six States right now in Australia and in order to scale and grow a team of that size, you need people that are mentoring you, coaching you, you know, I know you recommended, um, you know, reaching out to your friends because they can help inspire you, such as your, your buddy who was going to uni and you're like, if he could do this, I could do this. But who are the most pivotal people in your life to help you get to where you are now? Who is your coach or your mentor? Great questions. Um, I think... So I'm going to separate coach and mentor from pivotal people because one, one big pivotal person I could definitely, you know, hands down say was my dad. Uh, the, the amount of crap that that man went through and it wasn't like that he was completely, it wasn't that he was successful after it because he definitely wasn't, trust me. It was the positive attitude after everything. So it was just that, you know, that constant smile on the face. Mm. And no matter what happens, oh, who cares? doesn't matter. Work through it. Come out bigger and better. Like it was always that attitude of no matter what comes your way, fix it, deal with it, move on. There's no point dwelling, right? So just keep moving on. And that, that attitude that, you know, I've been lucky enough to be able to pull and, and, and you know, make my own, that's gotten me through so much crap. <laughs> yes, because, I mean, as an entrepreneur, you go through so many ups and downs. It's like a roller coaster. Yeah. And... I forget who said this, but they said success is just moving from one failure to the next without losing enthusiasm <laughs> and motivation. So if that's the case, if you don't have someone that's like acting as your cheerleader and rooting for you at all times, you could sometimes lose steam. So having a parent like that is, is it's got to be a tremendous uh, relationship that you have with him. Oh, no, it's huge. It's, it, it, I'm extremely grateful for it. Uh, but in terms of, you know, mentors and advisors, uh, one that really does stick out uh, was my first ever mentor. And that was throughout that competition. Um, it was a man named Jan. He had a German background and he, um, he was very diligent 
you know, and he taught me all the fundamentals of business. So I, I came into this having absolutely no idea. And he taught me everything from the ground up. He taught me, you know, how to set an agenda for meetings, how to speak to people when you want to set meetings, how to do all the fundamentals, right? And as tough as he was, and so many people didn't like his style, right? Because he was, you know, cut the shit. Like I remember I was talking to him once in a meeting, I actually requested a meeting and he goes, okay, before the meeting, send me an agenda. I sent him an agenda and he goes, I want you to put X amount of minutes next to each agenda item. And when we speak, I want you to have a timer next to you. So you can time how many wow. minutes, even if you, t so, because if you don't allot the right amount of minutes for that agenda item, he's going to cut you off at three minutes and you move to the next one. That's how diligent he was. <laughs> that sounds like the stereotypical German culture of like being That's what I mean. Yeah. Very strict. <laughs> I don't operate like that at the moment, but I was very grateful in the early days that I did have that sort of discipline and that sort of mentoring and that attitude. Uh, because, you know, I was able to, I'm a big believer of picking and pulling from different people what suits you and, um, you know, what's right for you. And um, in terms of where, where I get most of that mentorship and, and advice from, uh, I read. I read a lot. Uh, every morning I set my timer on, I do my reading, and I realize I haven't got the greatest memory. So I can read a whole book and, you know, a week later I will forget most of it. So I've figured out a way I'd sit down, I'd read, I'd, I'd have a highlighter with me and I would highlight all the important parts of the book. And then at the end of that, when I start my next book, I will summarize the book that I just read and I'd write down all the key points. So I have a Dropbox folder full of all these books that I've summarized. And they're great, right? If you're reading manuals like um, How to Sell to, Selling to Big Companies by Jill Conrad. So I, I refer back to that so many times because it has like how to write emails, how to how to reach out to people, all those sorts of things. So you just control F or command F, no matter what, depending on what you're using, and you just find exactly what you need. Um, so I think I'm a big believer in that. I love it. I'm a huge fan of that. And my clients would probably be laughing hearing this because I share this all the time. I only buy hard copy books because of this very um, understanding. <laughs> it's, and I always tell them books are only as good as how often you reference back to them. And yeah. you don't want to have to reread the whole book every time. So now you just revisit it. You read the notes that you took in the book. And uh, I actually use this pen. It's got four colors on it. And each color signifies a different uh, reason for writing in the book. And I'll share that with you after because I feel like you would totally, uh, you know, yeah, that's it up awesome. and, and use it. So, yeah. um, but we can go into that later. So, so shout out to Jan. <laughs> and uh, for being a mentor. So what, what's the, I love gratitude and, and giving thanks to those that have been the most pivotal in our life. And what's the coolest or most unique way you or someone you have known as um, someone you know has shown gratitude for someone? Any cool stories or funny stories that you can recall? Um, there's one that sticks out. I don't... I don't paint this one as, you know, sort of giving gratitude, but that's, that's, that's what it came out of, right? So um, there was an opportunity last year in April. Uh, there was a Smart Cities conference that came up in Denver, Colorado. And um, I, I knew that a friend of mine, his, his dream always was to go to the US, like mine, right? So, but, but I ticked that off before he did. Um, and his dream was, you know, I want to go to the US. This is my thing. Like, and he's one of my best friends. He's a very, very close friend of mine. But he's really not in the situation to be, you know, going over to the US and doing all these sorts of things. So we had to get creative, right? Well, I did anyway. 
So it, it sort of coincided with his birthday as well. Um, so what I did was I ended up employing him at our company um, because I, w- I would have needed to hire someone else there. I got invited to speak at that conference and I would have needed to hire someone else so they can come in and they can set the booth up and they can do all this sort of stuff. So, you know, one, it was saving costs for us and two, I was ticking his bucket list. So, so I, I actually ended up employing him there, you know, all airfares paid, going off to Denver, wow. Colorado. And he, you know, that, that was my way of just saying thank you, right? So he's like, even though we're completely different backgrounds, like he's in the automotive industry and he's doing all these sorts of things and I'm, you know, in the innovation space and doing all this, like we still ended up being extremely close. Um, and, you know, that was that was one way of just expressing gratitude. And How did he react? Oh, even to this day, like he still has that album of photos on his phone and he just like points <laughs> back to it every now and then. I just get a random photo sometimes or a random message saying, oh man, thank wow. you so much. <laughs> what a great friend. That's no, awesome. Um, what, you know, thinking of being creative and being scrappy, what's something sc- scrappy you've done to hustle that maybe you couldn't have revealed when you were first starting out, um, you know, <laughs> but now you can reveal it now that you've been, uh, you've been a little more successful. Yeah, so this one, um, this was very early days when we started, when we were getting that minimum viable product together and we were trying to actually show, you know, people are using this and it's awesome. Uh, it's great to have powerful advocacy groups like Vision Australia and Guide Dogs Australia and all those all those players that deal with people who are blind or vision impaired backing us and saying, you know, this is the greatest thing ever. But going for investment and, and, you know, dealing with clients, it was a bit more than, okay, they say it's great, so we need to pay for it. They want to see, you know, usage and they want to see all these sorts of things. So one thing in the early days um, that, that got us through was one of our team members, uh, well, actually all of our team members, depending on who was doing the installation, would open up the app and to bump up analytics, they would run from place to place and just try and try and like go into each store and get those usage analytics up. <laughs> so, so then, you know, at the end of the day, we can actually show, hey, we're actually, we're hey, actually this is working. Using yeah. So that was, that was early on when we were trying to show like that, you know, people are using it. But now, once we started running, yeah, we started running these local events and naturally things pick up and now people are just using it. So we don't need to run around. (laughs) Well, congratulations. It worked. Um, And there's many others that have done this. Uh, I've shared this in in my uh, past episode. Uh, Reddit faked their first hundred users, named them after furniture and and video game (laughs) characters to get their first investment. Um, Sarah Blakely paid her friends to buy products in in local department stores. So, um, all right, we're going to, Finish up strong with something called the under 30 seconds round, Ladin. So this is, we're going to try and fire these off and answer them. The first thing that comes to mind, and we'll start with the first one. You ready? Mm -hmm. All right. What is the book you've gifted more often than any other book and why? The Success Principles. Uh, Jack Canfield, um, you know, it's a great book that, in my opinion, just shows you exactly that you are the only one that's responsible for your life. No one else has it. Like, don't blame the traffic. Don't blame anything. It's all on you. And Jack Canfield. Yeah. He also wrote, uh, I think, uh, chicken soup for the soul. Great book. Very popular. Uh, another good one. What's one of the best and one of the worst investments you've ever made and why? Uh, the best investment would have been, um, my first startup, 
everything I went in, everything that went into that, you know, it wasn't successful, but it got me to where I am today. So that's, that was my greatest investment of my, of my life. Uh, worst investment, um, this desk that the laptop is sitting on right now. It's one of those expensive stand-up desks and I never stand up. So <laughs> I could have just <laughs> gotten a standard one. Hey, yeah, I've, I've uh, witnessed a lot of people having a stand-up desk and never actually using it or they end up sitting <laughs> at it or finding something, some way to sit near it. Um, but that's, that's funny. And three, what's one of your guilty pleasures or favorite cheat meals? Extremely cheesy, extremely cheesy deep pan pizza. <laughs> um, there's a kilo of cheese. Is that a thing in Australia? Do they have like big deep dish pizzas? It's rare to find, but when you do find it, it's good. So when you come to the U.S., Chicago is known for having the best deep dish pizza. So you'll have to uh, check that off your bucket list when you come visit. Definitely. It's on, the, it's on there. Number four is pretend you won the Peter Thiel Fellowship where you're going to get money to start a business rather than go to college. Where would you start to initially begin starting your own company? Well, considering Peter Thiel is, you know, under 20 or under 23, um, I, my thoughts then and my focus was all on cars. So I would definitely go towards the automotive industry. And, you know, I don't think there's a lot of innovation in that space. I'm just putting myself in that young mindset. I think that's, that's definitely where I would gravitate to. There you go. There's a show called Undercover Billionaire where this billionaire goes undercover and decides he's going to show people that you could start a business from scratch, gives himself a hundred dollars, a cell phone and an old beat up pickup truck. And he goes in the middle of nowhere and he has 90 days to build a business from scratch to a million dollars because he wants to show people that you don't need anything to build a business. And so he does it. And one of the first things he does is like, he sells something, he buys something, sells it for a little bit more. And one of the things he buys is a car to level up and get him that next level of uh, cash to start his next phase of the company. So it's pretty cool if you haven't already seen it. And last one is what's something you never knew you needed? An example of this, I brought this up a uh, previous episode is a pop socket on my phone. My buddy, <laughs> he told me, listen, Phil, I know it doesn't look great, but try it out for a week. If you don't like it, take it off. I tried, I'm like, how was I ever using an iPhone before I added the pop socket? One thing that comes to mind, uh, one big thing is Nura headphones. Have you heard of Nura? I have not. N-U-R-A, I actually got them here. Tell me about them. These headphones, right? So they're not normal headphones. So the, the difference between these headphones is one, they have the noise canceling muffs as well as the in-ear pricks right whoa and what they do is you download their app when you get the headphones and to calibrate the headphones they send signals inside your ears and they receive readings back from your eardrums and they calibrate the headphones to exactly how your ears hear music <laughs> so you hey, don't that's crazy they tune themselves yeah they tune themselves wow. to you and they give you a diagram of how you hear bass, how you hear treble. And once you put them on, you have your profile set. And the music through these headphones is unlike anything you've ever heard before. So their tagline is Nura, uh, music in full color. It's exactly mm. what it is. 
<laughs> I like that. I'm not getting any commission on sales. <laughs> I'm gonna write that down. N U R A Nora headphones. Nora headphones. You have to get them, and they're coming out with the small ones now. Um, and they're also coming up with a subscription model as well, where you can wow. just get them or send them to you, and it's a month-to-month thing. I highly, highly recommend. Them. We'll definitely check them out. Um, well, Maladin, thank you so much for being here today. Um, before you go, what's what's the next big goal or milestone or bucket list item you have? Look, the next next big overarching goal that's going to tick off so many bucket list items for me is um, taking Bindi Maps International. I mean, all the challenges, learnings, um, experience that we're going to get through that you know, expanding to the US, to Europe and all those things, that's going to tick off 20 or 30 of my bucket list items. So that is the biggest thing. And we're, we're, I'm looking forward to it, hopefully starting the expansion next year. The international expansion, that's exciting. And I know you are launching in the US or planning on launching in 2021. So if someone in the US from the audience wanted to get involved or help, how would you want them to get in touch about a potential partnership or working with you and your team? They can just contact me directly, just maladin at bindimaps.com. Send maladin at bindimaps.com. That's it. Uh, E-I-N-D-I maps. Yeah, B-I-N-D-I maps. That's it. Perfect. Um, or you can just go directly through the website and send a request. But look, we're, we're, we've gotten requests from so many different countries and we love getting those. So, you know, as, even though we can't accommodate to that now, send them through, you know what I mean? We'll, we'll stay in touch and we'll try and work around what's best for you. And we'll, we want to make this, we want to make the world accessible. There you go. Help Bindi Maps come to the US and expand globally to Europe as well. Great, please go connect with Mladen and Bindi Maps. Thank you ladies and gentlemen for being here today. We learned so much how you can go from living in your car to now expanding globally with a company that is helping so many people and i um, really excited to learn more about you here today, Maladin. And I hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Have an amazing day. No, I definitely did. Thank you again, Phil, so much for having me. It was absolute pleasure and, you know, pleasure getting to know you as well. Likewise. Take care. Thanks for joining us today. I hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Who do you think would benefit from hearing it? You can make an impact on their life by sharing it now. Before you go... I encourage you to tell us your favorite part of the episode in the review section. Now it's time to level up. Level up. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.